Welcome back, and thanks for being with us today. It's Todd Zwillick, and we spent all last week here on The Takeaway talking about the future of the Democratic Party. Democrats, you sounded off on what you want your party to look like. Well, Republicans, this week, it's your turn. At first glance, the GOP is riding high. 32 Republican-controlled state legislatures, 34 governor seats, and in Washington, control of the Senate and the House and, of course, the White House. But does all that winning point to a healthy party. There's no way to say that it does. The GOP is in the throes of a takeover. The party's dream, repealing Obamacare with a unified Congress, failed. The party of family values appears solidly behind a Senate candidate in Alabama, credibly accused of molesting girls. And its leader, President Trump, has pushed white nationalist identity politics to the core of the party. Meanwhile, his former political advisor, Steve Bannon, is on the outside now, working, he says, to unseat party leaders like Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. So where is this Republican Party headed? We begin today with the establishment. Doug High is former communications director for the Republican National Committee and also the former deputy chief of staff for House Majority Leader Eric Cantor. Doug High is a never-Trumper who's worried about where his party is headed and that Roy Moore's possible election isn't the bottom. So I didn't vote for Trump. I wrote in Paul Ryan. That is a bit of an admission of defeat, admittedly. I reflect at least a part of the party that is really struggling to come to grips with all of this because there are a lot of things that Trump's going to do that I like. Then there's the daily barrage of kind of self-created outrage du jours that I don't think serves the American people well. I don't think serves this White House well. And I envisioned the Republican primary was going to be finally mom and dad having the necessary fight in front of the kids. To me, that meant Rand and Ted and whomever on one side and Jeb and Marco and whomever on the other side, and they would fight it out and we would resolve our differences. Then along came the crazy uncle. And so part of the thing that I struggle with is there's going to be a point where there's not a President Trump. And that could be in one year, three years, seven years. Uh, But when we come to that point, will mom and dad finally resolve their differences? Uh, And I don't think we know the answer to that yet. But what we've certainly seen is that the ground beneath Republican candidates, Republican members of Congress has really shifted and it shifted very quickly. They're struggling to come to grips with it. And it's something that every time they go home during a recess, uh, they're more and more surprised at some of the changes that they've heard and how tribal those changes are. How tribal they are. Doug, that fight that Republicans need to have in front of the kids that they mentioned, what is it? Because it's not just deregulation taxes and a strong military the way it used to be. The other side of that fight, frankly, is a brand of white ethno-nationalism that Donald Trump brought to this party and was then elected with 80 or 90 percent of Republican support. Yeah. And and if you talk to Republican voters, I've spent a lot of this year in North Carolina. And, you know, what I've heard over and over again in a state that Trump won but didn't win massively is that Republican voters not only aren't going anywhere uh, away from Trump, that they are more and more in favor of him, in part as a rejection of Washington. Uh, the media, the corporate media as they look at it. And I, and I hear a lot of talk of what, what I would call, uh, yeah, but Republicans. And this is what I've heard so many times is, yeah, this particular tweet, whatever tweet it was or comment it was on, on any given day, isn't really helpful, comma, but. And then it's some variation of Trump taking the fight to people they want to take the fight to, even if it's Hillary Clinton or people like that who really aren't current fixtures in American politics. 
uh, but but remain a fixture to a lot of Republican voters and certainly conservative media. Let's talk about the future a little bit. Uh, one of the features here is clearing out the old guard from the GOP. Where, where does this shake out? Well, I, I don't think we know yet. We're, we're learning a lot and, and we'll certainly learn you know, about what happens in Alabama. That's certainly a race where you have Roy Moore, who's campaigning as much against uh, Mitch McConnell as he is, you know, for or against anything else. Yeah, I think it says that we have real problems. Um, very obviously, we have real problems. I'm appalled at what's going on. And, you know, the, the party faces a lose-lose situation in Alabama. If Roy Moore wins, he is our next Todd Akin, Richard Murdoch, Christine O'Donnell, Sharon Engel, you know, four Senate seats that we basically left on the table, which if we had had better candidates win those primaries, we could have passed Obamacare repeal and replace. We could have already passed the tax reform bill. And then if he loses, well, we've also got a problem of, you know, a real sign of a seismic wave that may be coming against Republicans. But if you get outside of Washington, D.C., you know, and, and the kind of D.C., New York, Acela corridor, you, you find very quickly just how high the level of of disdain is um, for anything that that smacks of Washington or anything that smacks of the media. And so, you know, what we've seen with Roy Moore's supporters, and I think we'll see this with other candidates, even less extreme ones, is a calcification of support around them because they stand against these institutions that have no credibility outside of Washington, D.C. Roy Moore, I think, is going to win. But, you know, I think that what we've also seen in politics now, you know, and President Trump is, is proof of this, is as things have become so tribal, things have become so team-based that, um, you know, Donald Trump has proven you don't quit. And ultimately what we see is that if you don't quit, your team will back you in the end. And it's that kind of tribalism that, that worries me moving forward. And going forward, I wonder what you see as the future of your party. There has been an embrace of an essentially ethnic, pro-white, anti-diversity message at the core of the Republican base now. That's what Donald Trump represents. It, it seems to transcend all of the other ideological things and policy preferences that used to glue the GOP together, like taxes and regulation and national security. All of those things are secondary to white ethno-nationalism in the GOP base now. What's the way out? Is there one? Well, Should there be? I, I don't. I, don't uh, I, I tend not to even even think in those terms. I, I, you know, there's apparently some green frog cartoon character that is some white nationalist thing, right? I don't know what any of that means. I don't know what a snowflake is. I don't know what a cuck is. All that kind of stuff that's popped up over the past couple years. I, I don't know what any of that means. No, but Doug, but you do know what a president tweeting anti-Muslim rhetoric in videos sure, is, sure. but remains at 35% popularity and 70 plus in your party. That's right. something that's that's something that you can't miss. No, no. I, I would say one, you you have those yeah, but voters that I, that I you know mentioned earlier who don't love that, but love the other stuff that he's doing. I think I was, you know, I certainly talked a lot in the 2016 elections of what I saw problems for Trump and for the White House or or for Republicans moving forward. Uh, In part of that, you know, I looked at my own state of of North Carolina. I'll give you an example. Anybody who grew up like I did watching the Andy Griffith show, which is kind of gospel in North Carolina, knows about the town of Siler City. Um, I went there last year and I was amazed at the, you know, number of uh, Hispanic businesses in downtown, small town, Siler City. We need to win those voters if we want to have a long-term viability. But the resounding message from the election says that maybe, you know, what I think the future of the party should be isn't what the future of the party is going to be. And if we want to put together 
a coalition, not a coalition, but a base of you know disgruntled white voters, we can do that for an election or two. How that's a path for long-term viability, I don't know. That's one of the things that you know, Republicans, I think Republicans who want to grow the party and want to go back to, you know, really accomplishing things, be results oriented, are trying to figure out how to do. The problem is there aren't a lot of good answers right now. Does it you make know? you feel partly responsible that that some of the things you may have done uh, working for House members might have also helped create this? Uh, no. In, in fact, you know, I think almost every day um, what I was focused on in the House of Representatives was trying to put better, you know, better results out there. And, you know, part of that is also because – which never really gets talked about. One of the things that always gets the blame for why the country or why the Republican Party is where it is is redistricting. And I understand that redistricting plays a role. But we also forget that we've changed our laws in the past um, in the past 10 years, very or more than 10 years now, in a very significant manner. So I go back to the McCain-Feingold campaign law where we basically took the money out of the Republican National Committee – so I, I saw in 2010 us really struggling to raise money for several reasons, but McCain-Feingold and this other thing called Citizens United playing a role in it. And the money le- leaving the party had to go places. So where did it go? Well, it went to the Heritage Foundation and it went to this new political organization called Heritage Action. It went to Club for Growth. It went to uh, American Crossroads and, and the American Action Network and all these other kind of um, outside organizations, Democrats have this have the kind of same mirror images as we do. And so what we saw was that now you had financial incentives to, you know, cast apostates within your own party so that the problem wasn't Barack Obama. The, the problem was Eric Kanner and John Boehner and Mitch McConnell. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And we would see scoring of um, votes in the House. You You covered a lot of these where – House of Representative votes were, would be scored so that we could castigate good Republicans versus bad Republicans. And sometimes Senate votes were not. And we found out that, well, that was because Ted voted the wrong way. So that vote wasn't going to be scored. And so if you have outside institutions that make money and raise money by further balkanizing the party within itself, that also gives rise to exactly where we are right now, especially when you have um, – certain organs of the media that not only amplify that, that not only echo that and amplify that but really become a participant in it that's part of the challenge that um you know that I saw every day but what I also ended up unfortunately having to do every day was in some fashion dealing with republicans fighting with each other and we spent so much time fighting with ourselves. Who's a good Republican? Who's a bad Republican? Who's a true conservative? Who's a true believer? All that kind of, frankly, nonsense that didn't help us pass conservative outcomes. And that ultimately is you know, what, what I said earlier about mom and dad having the fight in front of the kids. And you're right. There, there is a strain of, you know, we certainly saw a lot of this in, in Charlottesville and so forth. And full disclosure, my first campaign was in 1990 working for Jesse Helms. So I've seen race in the Republican Party up close working for Jesse Helms, Michael Steele, the first African-American RNC chair, and then Eric Kanner, the highest ranking elected Jewish Republican. Uh, but this is the battle the party eventually has to have with itself. We saw a hostile takeover of the party from Trump. This is where the party finds itself. This is where the party finds itself right now with Roy Moore, you know, that we're even having a discussion of not just what he did and what his, what his other policies were are too – um, which aren't necessarily too popular 
with Washington Republicans, but also whether or not we're going to seat him, whether or not he will be removed, you know, for somebody who hasn't been elected yet, that's rather unprecedented. But that's where the party finds itself right now. And the crazy thing about it to me is, on paper, the Republican Party has never been in better shape than it is right now. We have massive, uh, massive hold on state legislatures, on governors. We have a majority in the House, in the Senate, and we have the White House. And yet, you can certainly argue that the Republican Party uh, is at a lowest point that it uh, that has ever been. The, I would only argue against that, saying I think we've got a ways to go, and Roy Moore is a symptom of that. You think the Republican Party has a ways more to go downward? Absolutely. I think it's very clear in what we saw um, in the uh, elections earlier this month, and I don't mean in the Gillespie Northam race. You know, the, the governors' races tend to be you know as much about. You know the two the, the the individual state and the two candidates who are running as anything else, but in the state legislature races where we saw massive Democratic pickups that um, sug- should suggest to Republicans that we've got a real problem in, on our hands, and so you know we'll certainly see Democratic gains. Uh, we, we are seeing some signs right now of a potential wave. Obviously, it's a year away, and anything can happen. But what happens to the Republican Party if Democrats take over the House and or the Senate? Uh, I can't tell you that I know the answer. I only know that the finger pointing and the recriminations will be massive. Doug High is former communications director for the Republican National Committee and former deputy chief of staff to House Majority Leader Eric Cantor. Doug, thanks for joining me. Thank you. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know wherever you get your podcasts.